I'm thinking that one. Okay, so today's daf is Mem Vav in Yomat. We are 12 lines from the bottom of Mem Vav, Amud Aleph, and uh, where it says, Upliga, Upliga de Ravuna. So this was discussing um, the, uh, the, what was mentioned earlier regarding the Marachot, the different setup of wood that was placed on the altar for Korbanot. And we said that according to one view, uh, there was even a marakha set up each day for the uh, previous day's korbanot. And then the discussion was, even if it were Shabbat, meaning even on Shabbat, they would burn what was left over from the previous day's korbanot on this separate marakha. Um, so the, uh, uh, so, and, and we see that even on Yom Kippur they did that, and not just on uh, Yom Kippur that fell after Shabbat and so on. So now Gemara says, This contradicts what because Rav said the beginning pushes off, but the end doesn't push off. What does that mean, the beginning? What, what, what is that referring to? And that itself is subject to a um, is subject to a discussion. But the way that Rashi initially says, this is going back on what Bar Kapara said before, that he said, uh, that he said, um, even on Shabbat, in other words, that even on Shabbat, they would set up the marachah, this extra pyre of wood to burn the previous day's korbanot, that according to Rafuna, that wouldn't be the case on Shabbat. A kol yom means every day except for Shabbat. They wouldn't burn the previous day's korbanot on Shabbat because it says even though tchilato docheta Shabbat. In other words, the beginning of a korban pushes off Shabbat, but the end of it doesn't push off Shabbat. So if it were the korban tamid of that day, of course you offer the korban tamid of the day of Shabbat on Shabbat. That goes without saying. But the korban tamid of uh, Friday... To offer that on Shabbat, to fin- even to finish it off on Shabbat, you shouldn't be able to do. Now, Gufa, we go back to that point. Rafuna said a vague statement. The Korban Tamid, the beginning pushes off, the end doesn't push off. Now, we interpreted it in light of the previous discussion as referring to the issue of, uh, uh, you know, of burning the leftovers on the, uh, of a previous day's Korban. But that wasn't necessarily agreed upon by every, everyone. Because, uh, what does it mean? It means that it pushes off Shabbat, but it doesn't push off Tum'ah. In other words, the beginning of the Korban, um, the offering of the Korban, it's me and the way that Rashi interprets it. There's two interpretations in Rashi, and then Tosafot takes one of them. And so I'm just going to go with what Rashi says is the key uh, interpretation, okay? And and the way that it's explained by some of the other mafreshim that avoid some of the problems. So we're just going to take the easiest route. I think what is the easiest route to do it? Uh, Rav Chista says that uh, it's doche Shabbat, meaning the korban tamid is completely doche Shabbat, but it doesn't push off tumah, meaning to say that the end of the korban doesn't push off tumah. So if the beginning of the korban was was executed properly and everything with everyone was tahor, and then in the middle. Uh, people, everyone was tamei, and then they want to put the, the the limbs of the korban on the mizbeach. So that's not really so critical because even if the limbs become tamei and they never they never make it to the mizbeach, the fact that you threw the blood and everything is good. So if you already did the essence of the korban bitara, there's no now permission to do the whole to do what's left over bitumah. If everyone had been tamei from the beginning and they had to do the korban tamid, so of course they're allowed to do the korban bitumah. We learned many times that it's that tumah is pushed off for the sake for the community for you know for communal korban for sure. So that wouldn't be an issue. But if they did the beginning of the Korban, the essence of the Korban was done bitaran. now they want to complete it bitumah. There's no necessity to complete it in Tumah. So they wouldn't complete it in Tumah. That's the first interpretation of what Rav Huna was referring to. Then it should say The other way around. That it does push off Tumah, but it doesn't push off Shabbat. Meaning to say, and this fits in with what we were saying before. In other words, it pushes off Tumah, meaning that if you started a Korban, even if Tum'ah ensues afterwards, and now you have to do what's a non-essential component of finishing off the Korban, 
Bitum'ah, that's okay. But Shabbat, you don't. Shabbat meaning if Friday they offer the Korban in the afternoon of Shabbat, and I'm sorry, of Erev Shabbat, and the, and, the, and the parts were never put on the Mizbeach, and now it's already Shabbat, they don't put yesterday's uh, limbs onto the... Um, Onto the mizbeach. That's the so. This is the uh, uh, this is a machloket in understanding exactly what um, what the statement of Rav Huna originally was referring to. Was Rav Huna saying that uh, that you can't put the um, you can't put the leftovers of Friday's korban onto the mizbeach on Shabbat, but you can if you started a korban in a state of purity, you can finish off. This, the korban bitum'ah, if, if tum'ah occurs, you could finish it off if everybody became tamay. Is that what he meant? Or he meant the opposite. No. When it comes to tum'ah, if you started the korban and you did the essence of the korban, which is throwing the blood in a state of tara, and then you became tamay, you shouldn't finish it because you're done with the main point of the korban. But when it comes to Shabbat, even if you offered the korban on Friday, whatever's left over, you could burn it on Shabbat because you need to complete the mitzvah. Now, the question is, Amar le'apaye, this one should probably, the question is, is it to the previous generation or to, oh, so it's to, yeah, he's talking to Rabbah. Right, so right. So talking to his teacher. You have it left over now, what? You didn't get a chance to do it before Shabbat. You would just now. have to leave it and then burn it after Shabbat as, uh, as left, as notara, I guess, as left over. <coughs> you wouldn't be able to do anything with it on Shabbat itself. It should say, Oh, because he's talking to him, right? So he says, yeah, There's a difficulty for you and a difficulty for Rav Chizda. Why? Because, uh, Because you're making a distinction between Tum'ah and Shabbat, but there doesn't seem to be one. Because what do we learn? We learn from the Pasuk, That the Korbanot are override Shabbat, and Tum'ah is also overridden by the Korbanot. So both of them are the same. Same. Really, we should say the same rule for both, right? And similarly, he's basically saying the same pasuk. In other words, the same pasuk teaches you that whether it be a situation of tumah or a situation of Shabbat, we ignore both of those things when we're doing a korban. So, what should? Why should you make a distinction and say no, no, no? You can, you know, when it comes to tumah, you can't finish it off, but when it comes to Shabbat, you could, or the other way. No, when it comes to Shabbat, you could finish it off. When it comes to tumah, you can't. Why, why should you make a distinction? Both should be the same rule. Either yes or no should be the answer to both. So, I'm going to be fair both to my opponent and to myself and to tell you that it's not a difficulty for either of us. Why not? Because because I'll say the end is like the beginning. Meaning what? Meaning, turning to Amud Bet, right? So he says, when it comes to Tum'ah, the beginning, you were allowed to push off, right? Because in other words, you were allowed to start the Korban Bitum'ah. So since you're allowed to start the korban bitum'ah, so you're also allowed to uh, to finish it off bitum'ah. That was what he said, right? That was what he, because he said it. Push, but so so meaning once you already started, you could finish it, right? But however, Shabbat the majority. What do you mean? Which we're talking about the idea of tumah Let's just assume everyone's tamei. Let's everyone's tamei. Right. Let's just assume nobody is tahor so right, to make it right, easier, right, right. because because uh, okay. we discussed, yeah, we had discussed previously in Masachet Tzachim. Oh, what about if there's somebody in that shift that's tahor? What if there's somebody in that bit of 
you know, if, what if what if it's somebody in that uh, in that watch? That, you know, how far do you go to try to avoid the tumah? There's a whole discussion about how far do you have to go. Does it have to be somebody that there? If there's nobody that is tahor on that day's shift, you have to go for somebody else on a different day of the week that's part of the same uh, mishmeret, or you go for you know how does it work? So that that discussion we had. So just to make it simple, I'm saying everyone became tameh. Let's just say okay. So make it very simple. So the point is, it says you could finish it because since you had permission in the beginning, you could finish it off. But Shabbat is different. Why? Because But when it comes to Shabbat, we're not talking about the Korban of Shabbat. We're talking about the Korban of Friday. So since the Korban of Friday, you had no permission to slaughter that on Shabbat because you had to do it on Friday. So the end also doesn't push off Shabbat. He's saying, I'm being consistent. I'm saying the thing that had a license, which was you were allowed, you would have been allowed to do the beginning of this Korban on Bitumah. You didn't have to because everyone was tahor, but you, you, you could have, right? You could have done it Bitumah, so you could finish it Bitumah if you became Tameh. But with Shabbat, you would never have been allowed to offer this Korban on Shabbat. So why are you offering the end of the Korban on Shabbat? This seems to make sense. Okay, what about Rav Chizda? Rav Chizda, he defends Rav Chizda also, even though they're in an argument. But he says, I'll defend it. Because it's not a fair question. Why? Because he'll say, Obviously, he doesn't agree with my idea that since the beginning, you're permitted to uh, do something Bitumah, you should also be able to do the end Bitumah. He doesn't agree with that. And that's why he makes a distinction. And he says, when it comes to Tumah, the opposite. That... Uh, that if the that even though this korban could have been brought entirely bitumah, if you started it bitahara and you did the essence in bitahara, you can't finish it off bitumah, right? That's what he said. However, he'll say like this: Shabbat dehutrahi betzibur sofonami dache tumah deduchuyai betzibur tchilato dikar kapara dache sofod elavikar kapara la dache. Interesting point. He says like this: Shabbat is, so to speak, exists in a framework outside of the laws of, sh- of uh, uh, or the korbanot, rather, exists in a framework outside of the, uh, of the Shabbat. So therefore, since Shabbat, the, in the concept of korbanot overrides Shabbat. Okay, obviously, this particular korban normally would not because it's a Friday korban, the way that we're understanding it, the way that we're learning it, it's a Friday korban. But the idea is that korban tamid, in general, would override Shabbat, but it doesn't override Shabbat, it's hutra. Meaning that Shabbat does, it's like it doesn't exist. It's not like the Kohen has to be so careful, like, oh, I can only do exactly, you know, the amount that's overriding Shabbat at any one moment when it comes to the Korbanot. He's allowed to do the Korban the normal way. So since you see that Korban Tamir overrides Shabbat, so it overrides Shabbat and that's it. And even the Korban Tamir of the previous day could override Shabbat. But when it comes to Tum'ah, it's Dechuyah. Dechuyah means it's pushed off. When something is Dechuyah, that means you have to do the minimum violation because you have the right to override. A overrides B. But A doesn't cancel B. In other words, B is still there. So you have to still accommodate it. So it would be like if a person, let's say, has an emergency on Shabbat, life, life and death emergency, pikoach nevesh. We say Shabbat is dechuyah, not hutra, which means to say that you don't say, well, since I'm already helping, the, saving the guy's life, I can do whatever I want and I can go to any, I can do anything. It's not true that you can do anything. You do what's necessary. And if there are things that are not necessary, you wouldn't do that. It's just that you're allowed to be very liberal in your interpretation of what's necessary because you don't want to make a, a decision that's going to uh, cost somebody their life. But the point is... Doctor, for example, what? you don't have to take the stairs. You should take the elevator. Not you don't have to, to turn on the radio. The car. Right, uh, if, if you're not too... Well, I mean, each doctor has to make their own calculation. I can't say for a doctor, but I'm just saying that the idea is that 
It's not hutra, it's dechuya, which dechuya means that it still exists. You can't just be like, well, here I am being a doctor, so I guess I'll just do whatever I want to and I'll uh, text my friends under, you know, it doesn't exist for me or something like that. Right. Shabbat is still, right. Shabbat is still there for the person. It's like, you know what? I really, when I do surgery, I like to smoke a cigar while I'm doing it. So I know it's Shabbat, but you know, it's not, you can't. So the, the point is like, you can't just do whatever you want. You have to be considerate of Shabbat. Even as you are, say, as you're doing pikuach nevish, that's called dechuya. Dechuya means it exists, but I'm pushing it off. So since it exists, but I'm pushing it off. So when it comes to tumah, it's dechuya, which means I have to limit the amount of violation. So since I already did the essential korban of the zrikat adam was already thrown, so therefore when I come to the extra thing, it's not extra. It's part of the mitzvah, but it's not critical. So putting on the limbs and everything, if everyone is tamei now, you know what? The korban is kosher. Without it, we won't do it. Right, but when it comes to Shabbat, Shabbat is completely non-existent in the face of Korban Tamid, which means that since I'm going to do one part, I can do all of it, and I can even put the limbs of the previous day's Korban on the on the um, Mizbech. That's the reasoning of Rav Chista why there's a difference between Tumah and Shabbat. So basically, according to uh, Rabbah, he would say that we look at the in the, we look at the specific action and we say, look, this action could, could this action have been started on Shabbat? No, then it can't be finished on Shabbat either. But it but it could this action have been started bitumah? Yes, so therefore it could be finished bitumah also, um, even if the tumah was created in the middle. That's the way that Rabbah is understanding. Rabbi Chizda is saying, look, there's a difference between Shabbat and tumah. With tumah, you're pushing off the tumah, so you minimize the amount that you push it off. With Shabbat, it's like Shabbat doesn't exist with respect to korban tamid, so you're allowed to. Burn even what's left over of the previous korban tamid, uh, with res- uh, you know when when it comes to hilchot uh, shabbat. Now that, that's the thing. But you didn't miss it. If you didn't slaughter something else, that has to do with if you didn't do the korban on, on, on the right day. But the the, the so limbs of the korban always can be done the next Friday, day. Friday is finished. Now it's shabbat. That you would say that every day is korban tamid. Every day is korban tamid is slaughtered before shkian. They put the the limbs on usually after uh-huh. or or barely in time it depends on the day but it, it's it, it happens all the time the main means that if they didn't slaughter the korban and throw the blood on Tuesday they can't say well Wednesday we'll do two to make up for yesterday that's, that's what it's talking about you know it's not talking about the limbs the limbs you can do later Within reason, you know, you could do it the next, uh, the next time, meaning the, the following night. So Itmar said like this, We know that there's a, there's a rule, You're not allowed to extinguish the, uh, the fire that is on the Mizbeach. What about if you transfer fire onto this pan for the, uh, you know, because we move the uh, coals onto the pan for the incense, or you move fire because you're going to be putting it on the menorah. We said the fire for the menorah that they would take would come from the outer altar also, so that's fire from the outer altar. So if you put it on the menorah, technically if you extinguish the menorah, you're also extinguishing fire from the outer altar because you took it from there. Or if you extinguish fire in the pan, you're also extinguishing fire from the altar. So, like, do you say that fire of the altar has, like, a special status and anywhere it is, like, if you extinguish it, you're still violating the prohibition of of, of extinguishing that fire? Or no, only when it's actually on the altar, it means you shouldn't extinguish it. But if you took the fire and you you took another fire from there, it should be okay. So now Abaye says like this, Abaye Amar Chayav. Abai says, if you extinguish the menorah, you extinguish the fire that's in the pan. Chayav, because it's still the fire of the Mizbech. Rav Amar Patur. Right? Rav says that you are exempt, because once you take it off of the Mizbech, 
It's no longer called extinguishing fire on the Mizbeach anymore. It's not about that the fire is of the Mizbeach. It's that the fire is on the Mizbeach. And since it's no longer on the Mizbeach, Rav says that's not a violation of extinguishing fire on the Mizbeach anymore. Now, everybody would agree that if this uh, coal or whatever it is, or this fire is still on the Mizbeach, you would be liable. Why? Because it's still on the Mizbeach. That's the main thing. But the Machloket is, if you put it on the ground... And you, and you extinguish it because Abaye Amar Chayav, Esh HaMizbeachu. Abaye would say it doesn't matter that you put it on the ground. In other words, that you took it, you detached it from its source. It's still the fire of the Mizbeachu. Once it comes off, says Rava, it's disconnected. Okay? And therefore, it's no longer going to be uh, considered fire of the Mizbech. So the point is that the, the basic way to understand it is like I said before, that the question is the, the idea of ex- not extinguishing the fire on the Mizbech, is that tied to its location or that's tied to its source? If it has to do with the source, that this is the fire of the Mizbech, so then it doesn't matter that you moved it off the Mizbech or you put it in the pan or you put it on the floor. It doesn't matter. But if you're saying it means Esh'ala Mizbech is the location, Right? So then it only is a problem when it's on the, on the Mizbeach. But if it's moved off of the Mizbeach already, it doesn't have any special status anymore. Now, what about the th- fact that Rav Nachman said in the name of Rav Baravua the following? If somebody takes a coal off of the Mizbeach, the Kiba, and then he extinguished it, Chayav. So who is he following? So you would say, Keman, Ke that's only Abaye, because according to Rav, if you take a coal off the Mizbeach and you extinguish it, you didn't do anything because it's not on the, not on the Mizbeach anymore. Right? Only Abaye was saying it would still have the status as fire of the Mizbeach if you removed it. But, even Rava might agree. Because here, Hatam lo intik le Ha-ha, intik le So now we have to correct what we said before. It's not so true that if you put it on the ground, according to Rava, it would be a, it would change the status. What changes the status is that you're doing a mitzvah. In other words, what was the original case where you put the fire and you lit the menorah? Or you took the fire and you put it in the fire pan. You transferred this fire to a new mitzvah. So since you transferred it to a new mitzvah, like you placed it in the fire pan for the incense, or you placed it on the menorah to light the menorah, so that's called, a, since there's a new mitzvah involved, it loses its status as fire of the mizbeach, which is, you know, which is one status, and it now is the fire of the menorah, or it's now the fire of the fire pan. It's a different status. But if you just took it off the mizbeach and didn't do anything, so it doesn't lose its status as fire of the Mizbech. It's similar to the Halachav Me'ilah. The Halachav Me'ilah is that as long as the mitzvah with this object hasn't been done, it's still subject to misappropriation and Me'ilah. Once the, once the mitzvah has been done, so then we already say that its mitzvah has been you know, fulfilled and therefore its status is, so to speak, downgraded or changed once the mitzvah is fulfilled. Now here, the idea is that when it comes to, uh, when it comes to Gechalim or coals or fire, that have just been detached physically from the Mizbeach, according to this version, even Ravah would say, that doesn't necessarily change its status. What changes its status, the reason I disagree with Abaye is because you put it into the fire pan or you put it onto the menorah, so therefore you gave it a new status, a new mitzvah is being fulfilled. That's why it doesn't, it's no longer called fire of the Mizbeach. But just put it on the ground, I would agree with Rav Nachman that you can't uh, extinguish that. That's, that's, that's in version number one. Now, so according to this version, everybody was saying that you would be you would be exempt if you took a coal off of the mizbeach and you and extinguished it. The question is if you did it on the mizbeach. Now before we said the opposite, we said if it's on the mizbeach, everybody agrees that you would be liable. Now we're saying no, no, no. Everybody, I'm sorry that that that's the machloket rather, right? Um, before it said and the argument was when you put it on the ground. 
But then we kind of we kind of changed that a little bit. Now we're saying the argument is when you when you uh, when you uh, extinguish it on the mizbech. Abaye Amar Chayav Eshem Mizbechu. Abaye says as long as it's physically on the mizbech, it's a fire of the mizbech. Rav Amar Patur since it was detached from the maracha. In other words, this coal becomes separated from the rest of the uh, uh, of the fire because maybe you're putting it into the fire pan. Right, so it's it's being moved off of the of the your because the the kohen would go on to the mizbeach to take the fire. So he goes onto the mizbeach and he's taking the coals off. So they're detached, but they're still he's still on the mizbeach, but it's not uh, he hasn't gotten off the mizbeach yet. But it's disconnected from the actual maracha, the actual uh, pyre of uh, you know of coals and and wood that is on the mizbeach. So it says kevan did Right, so that's why Rava Amar Patur came that can it ka. Right, Elahad Amar of Nachman Abarabah Baravah Murid Gachelit Bel Gabeva Zvach Vikiba Chayav Keman Lo Kabeva La Kerava. Now we have a big a problem that's even worse because before we could say that Abaye for sure would agree. Right, Abaye for sure would agree that if the um, that if it was just put on the ground, then it, we would not be liable. Right, because in other words, according to previously we were saying Abaye basically holds that the the fire of the mizbech remains the fire of the mizbech forever, no matter what, whether it's done with an, another mitzvah, done with it, whether it goes on the ground, it doesn't matter. It's always going to be fire of the mizbech. And Rava was saying, uh, at first we thought Rava would say that in the intermediate stage. Um, that he would, he also disagreed and said it would, that once it was off the Mizbech, it would not be fire of the Mizbech anymore. In the end, the Gemara basically concluded in the first version that once it's used for another mitzvah, it's not considered fire of the Mizbech anymore. But in the intermediate stage when it's on the ground, everybody was going to agree that it was fire of the Mizbech still because it hasn't assumed any new identity. According to this version, the opposite. Everyone agrees that the issue only pertains when you're on the Mizbech. And there is the machloket that Rava says once you t- disconnect it from the other fire, it loses its status as fire of the Mizbeach, even though you put it into the fire pan. And according to Abaye, even though you put it into the fire pan, you disconnected it from the other fire that was on the Mizbeach, still you're on the Mizbeach, so it's called Esha Mizbeach. It's still called the fire of the Mizbeach. But once you get off the Mizbeach, everybody agrees that it wouldn't be an issue anymore. So then what about Rav Nachman Salacha, that if a person takes a, uh, a, a coal off of the Mizbech and puts it on the ground, that he's still liable for extinguishing it? Abaye wouldn't agree and Rafa would not agree because they both, in this version, are saying you have to be on the Mizbech for it to be an issue at all. Okay, so what's the answer? The Gemara says again, Hatam lo intik le mitzvata, acha intik mitzvata, same answer that we saw before, but uh, that will, according to this, we'll have to say that, uh, that yes, you're right, that Rava... Right, that basically, if the if the on the mizbeach they're moving the gachelet, the the coal is being moved from the fire onto the onto the fire pan for a mitzvah. So that's why it's debatable whether it would retain its status as fire of the mizbeach because you're moving it onto the fire pan. Abaye says no, as long as you're still on the on the mizbeach. Even though you moved it into the fire pan, I still call that fire ala mizbeach. It's still on the mizbeach. It's still going to be fire of the mizbeach until you come off. According to Rav, according to Ravan, no. Since you moved it into the fire pan for a mitzvah, even though you are still on the mizbeach, it loses its status as fire of the mizbeach, even though you're physically on the mizbeach now, right? But at Rav Nachman's case is where you just took a coal and put it on the ground. You didn't do anything new with it. You didn't do any mitzvah with it. So everybody would agree in that case, seemingly. Both Abaye and Rava would agree, potentially, that that's still called fire of the Mizbeach. Because even they don't disagree, except in a case where you moved it into the fire pan to do a mitzvah. 
there Ravah has a leniency that maybe it loses its status as fire of the Mizbeach. But if it just fell off of the Mizbeach or you took it down, so then for sure it's still called fire of the Mizbeach. And if you extinguished it, you would be liable. So that so the question is really what, uh, uh, between the two versions would be whether um, whether once you walk off the because according to um, according to the first version when you walk off the Mizbeach and you have that fire pan with the fire of the Mizbeach or you light the menorah with it, Abaye was saying that you're still liable for the uh, for the fact that it's considered esh hamizbeach. In this version, in the second version, it sounds like he would say that um, that it would it would not be fire of the mizbeach unless you're still up there. The, and the chidush is that even though you put it into the fire pan, it's still considered fire of the mizbech because you're still up there. But if you come off, the combination of coming off and that it's in the fire pan seems to downgrade it to something less. So the second version is going to be more lenient in terms of the outcome because the fire in the fire pan when he walks off the mizbech or when he lights the menorah is not going to be called the fire of the mizbech according to anybody anymore. Okay, so that's that's the two versions and hadran alachtach bekalpi and that's the conclusion of this parak. But I think we could go a little bit further since we have time if you if you. You want we can go a little further why not since we started late yeah that's halakha yeah very important for next time we go to the beta mcdash so keep it don't forget it you, 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 you're not allowed to, you, you can't you can't forget it between now and then now they bring him a spoon and a pan what is the spoon and the pan he takes his Double handful. When he chufnav means two two handfuls. In other words, he puts his two hands in to take the ketoret, um, the kohen gadol. And he puts it into the big spoon. I'm sorry. That uh, if he's big, in other words, if the guy has big hands, if he's a big guy, so then they would design actually the spoon to match the dimensions of the person. So if he's like uh, Andre the Giant, you know, I don't remember him. You know, so then uh, if he were a Kohen Gadol, so that would be a lot. Or Ogmela Chabashan, it was a Kohen Gadol, so that would be, uh, it would be very large. And if it's a smaller guy, then it would be, uh, it would be a, um, uh, like Mini-Me from, uh, you know, it, it would be small. Small, I'm giving you, pa- so you can, uh, it's for you, right? So then it would be it's a very small spoon, small spoon, okay? Now, so, uh, and this was the measurement. He would take the machta, which is, we're going to see exactly what machta is talking about here. The pan in his right hand and the spoon in his left hand. Now the spoon again is going to hold the ketoret. The ketoret because he took a hand, he took the double handful yep. of the ketoret and he puts it into the spoon. Oh, and the what, spoon why, was custom made. That's what it's Malo chufnav, it says. The Torah says, It's a pasuk in Parashat Achraimot. I read on Yom Kippur morning. Right? And also, it's, it's Parashat Achraimot. We just read it recently. Umloch Ufnav means the two hands. So he takes a double handful and he puts it into the spoon. So if he has very, very large hands, it's going to be a lot of, uh, it's going to be a lot of ketorah. It's going to be relative to the person. So everyone's spoon was custom made to fit their dimensions. Okay? Now it says, Ha! So, 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 machta. It says, machta. Hatanale. We already talked about this machta. Why are you talking about the machta again? The machta is the thing that you take the coals off of them as back. We already mentioned that before. It was in the previous, uh, we already saw that he goes up to the Mizbech with the fire pan. He takes the coals and he comes down. We had that already. So what's the, uh, why are we mentioning again that they bring him the machta now? So it says, actually only makes sense that way. It's very obvious that that's the, you know, on second thought that that's the reason, that that's the meaning of it, that it's talking about a pan of ketoret that they brought. 
It's not talking about the pan of the coals. How can you tell? Because what is he taking the ketoret from? Because it says then he takes a handful of the ketoret and he puts on. From where did he take the handful of the ketoret? It means they brought another pan. He, he goes and he takes the pan of the hot coals. Right? That's one type of pan. That's the pan that holds the hot coals. Then they bring him a machta. It's not talking about the machta for the hot coals. It's talking about the, a big pan that contains ketoret. the ketoret. And then he's going to, because otherwise, what is he taking the handfuls of the ketoret from? Obviously from something, right? So it's from this pan. That's what it means. They bring him that. And then, he has, so then he fills his hands from that. Ditanya. Hotziulo, and then what does it say in the little bet here? Hotziulo uh, etakaf, it says here. Rekan. They bring him an ex- a- a- empty spoon. Milishkat akelim, o machta gidusha shet ketorot. It's a big full pan of ketorot. Milishkat bet avtinas. That's from a certain chamber in the Bet HaMikdash. That's the idea that they brought him a pan, not a pan, of, uh, of, of coals. Coals pan, we already had the pan of coals. We're talking about now the pan that has the big ketorot and they would take a handful from it. Okay? It would be like a big pan of rice, like almost, you know, they'll have to do like a big thing and they would take the hands from there. It's sort of like how my kids take tadig, you know. Anyway, they try to grab as much as possible, two hands. The big guy according to his size and small guy according to his, his size. Why does he need a spoon on Yom Kippur? Why can't he just bring it in his hands? Why, in other words, it says, take a double handful and go into the Kodesh HaKodeshim who said that you put a spoon. Yeah, well, he needs to put oh, that's what you say, but I say maybe he, you know, he should work for his money. He, he, he gets so much kavod and they give him a, let him work hard. Why does he have to have easy? The- so that's his problem. It's not my problem. <laughs> you know, so that's what it's saying. How do you, it says, <laughs> he should do what it says. So, but the Gemara is going to say exactly what you say. Don't worry. <laughs> so it says, <clears throat> so it says, <laughs> it's impossible. How will he do it? In other words, what are the options? He can go in, put the cold pan down in the Kodesh Kodashim. And then come with the ketoret and put it on. In other words, he could do that. But then he's going to do... It's supposed to be one process, not two. And then he would have to put the coals down. And then he would have to come in with the ketoret. That would be the only way. Uh, maybe he could take the handful of ketoret and then put it onto the pan outside. Right? And then just take the pan. Right? Um, he could do it that way. It says... So, so then, in other words, that would be one, one uh, solution. One solution would be to take it and to place it onto the, uh, onto the pan outside. Um, right? That's what it's saying, right? And then what does it say in the Gimel there? What is he going to do when he gets there? Right? So it says, in other words, uh, um, Right. So, oh, is that a different object? What's it saying? Yeah. So what's so what's the problem with that option? So okay. So so why can't he do it that way? So what's it saying? The problem is right. One would be that he has to. Right, so yeah, it's continuing. Yeah. Right, so it's saying if, if he goes in like that, so. How's he going to pour it now? Right, how's he going to pour it? In other words, oh, so they're assuming he can't actually uh, 
Oh, I see what it means. He's not talking about that he should put it onto the fire pan because know, we know we can't do that. That's what I was wondering. That's, that would be weird because that's what the Tzadokim uh, tried to do. Right? The Tzadokim said, oh, you have to put the, uh, you have to put the Ketoret on the pan before you go in. And that's why they made the Kohen Gadol swear not to do that because that was the wrong way. It's supposed to do it when you're in already. Right? It means put the, in other words, consolidate. Right? Put the coals on top of the Ketoret. In other words, have the Ketoret in his hands. Right? And then put on the ketoret that's in his hands, the fire pan, and hold it like that and go in. Right? But then how is he going to put from his hands onto the fire pan when he gets in? Because he has to do that in the Kodesh HaKodeshim according to the Torah Shabbat Pan. That's how it has to be done. So it says, what's he going to do? So, maybe he has to take then, he'll have to take it in his teeth, hold it in his teeth, and put the Ketoret on top when he gets into the Kodesh Kodeshim. But that would be a little strange. You wouldn't do that in front of a human king. Could you imagine you go into a, even to a restaurant and the waiter has a lot of things so he puts one in his mouth and he's holding like this. It wouldn't, it would, you, it would be weird. So they wouldn't do that. Right? You can't do that before the king of kings. Therefore, there's no way to do it. Therefore, we learn from the Nisi'im, basically. The way that it says, right, like we read in last week's parasha. Right? They brought a spoon. So therefore, he uses a spoon. In other words, that way he can hold the spoon in one hand, then he can hold the fire pan in the other hand and go in. Right? But if he had to have a handful, two, both of his hands occupied, the only way to do it would be to then put the fire pan on top of that and then use his mouth, basically, because otherwise he's going to lose all the ketorah or he's going to drop it on the ground. I mean, there would be no way to do it in, an, in a uh, respectable uh, manner. So that says, then the thought that a ka ha machtabi amin. He's to come and bring something else and put it on top of it and uh, will it, you know, I guess, no, he has to hold everything. Yeah, he has to hold it. So, so now he says, he takes the machta, the fire with his right hand and the spoon with his left hand. So it's the 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 citizen goes on the ground, Vigyorabishmeshmaya, and the and the gear goes in the sky. This is a this is a saying that the Talmud used all the time where you take the more important thing goes lower than the important than the less important. So it always says like a stranger should be in the heavens and the citizen should be on the ground. Right? Even they thought that citizens should have more rights than illegal, uh, undocumented uh, immigrants, right? So they should, they're going in heaven, they're going, they're going low, right? So it says, so, so why is he putting the, the calf that has the actual ketorah should be in the right hand, not the left hand? Why are you putting it in the left hand? Left, the, the, the primary thing is the actual ketorah. Why is that spoon going in his left hand? So it says, because that because one is heavier than the other. In other words, since he's a righty, because if you're a lefty, you're actually, uh, that's a mum. It's considered a mum for being a kohen. So he has to hold, so he's a righty, we assume. So therefore, it, since the cold pan is heavier, so he holds that in the right hand. And even though you might have a situation. Huh? No, no, I'm just okay. Only a right, only a lefty, pure lefty is possible. Even if you had a case where the pan with the ketoret or the spoon with the ketoret was equal in, in weight to the pan of the coals, like Rabbi Shmuel ben Kimchit, who was a giant, he was like Andre the giant of the Kohanim. Right, one is hot and one is cold, so you're going to want to use your dominant hand to hold the one that is hotter because you don't want to spill it and you don't want to get hurt. Right, he would get four kav of uh, of ketoret with his two hands. He was, it's a lot. It's a lot. It's a huge amount. It's a huge amount. Right? Yeah, it's a huge amount. Right? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a gigantic amount. He said, all of the women uh, like uh, chose 
selected uh, good branches, I think it is, right? Zered is like a, uh, is, um, uh, uh, he says, uh, they all, ch- that my my mother chose the best of all, right? My mother had the best of all, the best thing of all. Igadam we son, some are saying it means the food. Like the, uh, the, the flour is good for the sick person. In other words, he's saying my mother ate the best during pregnancy and that's why I'm so big, right? My mother's went up to the roof. Everyone had their portion and my mother's was the best. It went to the roof, meaning my mother's was the best, meaning she ate the best food during pregnancy and therefore I'm so big because of that. Or it means the semen of the father. Because Rabbi Abau said, it says in the Pasuk, uh, there are two Pasukim. One says, Literally, it means he girds me with strength for war. And the other one says, with an Aleph. Right? There's two Pasukim. Similar. Similar Pasukim. Uh, he said before Hashem, He said to Hashem, you, uh, you selected me and you gave me strength. In other words, the meaning that, uh, I mean, we would say today that, you know, of all of the different, like the, 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 uh, the uh, chances statistically of uh, one particular insemination occurring are so tiny. In other words, the amount of cells that actually go in on a microscopic level and only one of them fertilizes the egg, you know, so the it's a selection of, you know, genetics. So in a way, like, they, he, they didn't have the modern genetics like we have, but we can understand what he's saying. In other words, it's like, I got the best of the genetic material, is what he's saying. Right? You gave me the best, that you made me out of the best genetic material and you gave me strength. I so so Rabbi Shmuel ben Kimchir is saying, he's saying, yeah, you got the best Shechvat Zera. You got the best of the, of the man's insemination that I came out so good because there was, everybody. yeah, genetic, uh, uh, yeah, he's saying, but he's saying that mine was the, the best because yes, I'm so big, you know. It's like they, you know, like they would breed animals because they see that they have certain, uh, certain good, this is not, yeah, I guess he thought he had other qualities that were, that were good. Yes, he wasn't tall. He wasn't tall. But he means other qualities. But the, but in the case of Rabbi Shmuel ben, uh, this, this Kohen Gadol, he obviously was very big and he said that it was because of the, the genetic, a lot, he won the genetic lottery is what we would say today. Right? That's what he's saying. I won the genetic lottery. Either my, either my mother ate really well during pregnancy or I won the genetic lottery or maybe both are true. It doesn't matter. Right? So in any case, one time he was talking during the Avodah, he went and he was talking with some Arab in the, in the Shuk, and some spit came from the mouth of the uh, non-Jew onto his clothing, and becomes Tamei, but Midrabanan, you become Tamei, it's because we consider all of the non-Jews to be Zavim. So now the spittle makes him Tamei, so therefore his Shevav, his brother, became the Kohen Gadol that day, and, and uh, served in his place because he became Pasul. Right? He became Pasul that day. So he, it was Yom Kippur, it says. I don't know why he's out schmoozing with non-Jews on Yom Kippur, but uh, it was during the coffee break, obviously. You know, The Arab said, why is he in the Shuk on Yom Kippur and he's the Kohen Gadol? I don't know, but he did. So, that, so his brother went and finished the job that day and therefore, what happened? His mother got to see two of her sons be Kohen Gadol in a single day. Very proud. It's like nowadays a mother sees two kids become a doctor. You know, that, now, now that's what the Jewish community, the, what Jews yeah, like to see. Yeah, wow, love deal. But that's what they, they, you know, look, two of my kids, they became this, you know. Anyway, that we can understand a little bit more. He had to talk to a certain, like, political person, some kind of a, uh, you know, 
some kind of an official in the shuk. Same situation. It was Yom Kippur. He was called out. He had to talk. He got the spittle of the nanju on his clothing. And it's like a, a, a stream. A stream of... Uh, uh, yeah, it's a lot. Yeah. Someday, some, don't, haven't you ever heard the saying, say it, don't spray it? That's what they used to say when I was a kid. You know, when the kids... Yeah. <laughs> That's a good one. It's been a long time since I heard that. Yeah, so Yosef, Yosef, his brother, went in and served his place. So she again got to see two of her sons be going on one day. This is a very famous story. Kimchid had seven sons. They were all Kohanim Dolim. They said to her, What did you do that you had such a Zechut? She said, my, my, my house, the walls of my house never saw my hair. Meaning she was so modest, she covered her hair even in the house. Right, the walls. No, no. Tikra's roof. So it's saying, this is a very famous saying, a very famous story because everyone says, oh, you see from here that modest women, even at home, they will cover their hair, look how modest they are and all that. Right? But but look what the rabbi said to that. Amrullah, harbeasuken velo ilo. Right, nice said so a lot of people did that, and it didn't help them. So that's obviously not the full secret, yeah, right? So, so in in the books about uh, about sniut and modesty, they don't mention this last part of the story. <laughs> right? They said, well, actually, that didn't. That's not really the reason. <laughs> right? Yeah, they they she she thought that was the reason, but they're saying that's that itself is a modest answer because there are many women who do the same thing. Obviously, you must have others that you're not sharing with us.